0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Forgecast, I'm Alex Norton and I have with me a wonderful guest, Stuart Anthony Smith, cover model for Blade Magazine. How are you doing Stuart?
1: Fine and self, thank you very much for having me.
0: That's great. Before we uh, dive in and start chatting to Stuart, I'm just going to read a quick message from today's sponsors. And today's Forgecast is brought to you by Robert Weber Abrasives. So make sure the next time you need abrasives or grinder belts for your workshop, you give a visit to webers.net.au to stock up. And of course, Nordic Edge, knife steels, handle materials, kits, not to mention every tool from tongs to the sexiest file guides on the planet. You can find them at their easy-to-use website, Nauticedge.com.au. So, Stuart, welcome to the show. Uh, you were actually uh, my inspiration of the week just a few episodes ago, so it's good to actually have you here in the flesh, so to speak.
1: Thank you. It's nice to be appreciated.
0: <laughs> Always. Um, do you want to tell, uh, tell the listeners about yourself? we we'll give them a quick rundown, the, 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 the short version of who Stuart Anthony Smith is.
1: The short version of the long and fascinating story of Stuart Smith. Yes, of course. <clears throat> well, it was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> no, not quite. No, I, I was not one of those guys that it was have, ever had a fascination with knives. Knife making kind of fell into my lap. Um, I used to be a very unsuccessful sales rep, and. Uh, I was well paid, but I wasn't very good at what I did. And one day I went on a knife making course with ABS. Now ABS Master Smith Kevin Harvey. When he had a uh, workshop in Gold Reef City, it's a kind of a historical theme park museum slash casino out in the middle of Johannesburg somewhere. And um, oh, he had uh, a knife forging course going on. And of course I had a job, so I went in the evenings. I went for two hours every Thursday evening for a month. And that constituted the uh, culmination of my knife studies back in 2000. And uh, from there, I kind of dabbled with knife making, uh, maybe making one or two knives every two or three months. You know, I was probably averaging about a knife every three months. And then one day I realized that my job was making me completely and utterly miserable and decided, uh, well, I decided with the, gracious uh, permission of my wife uh, I said she said well what else do you want to do and I said well I don't know how to do anything else other than make a knife I've got no formal education in any formal fashion uh, I went straight out of high school into work I got there was a barman and a waiter and you know a jack of all trades master of none you know nothing mm. particularly to contribute to my future well-being nothing a study I didn't learn any skills or apprentice anywhere it was just stuff to earn me money didn't think about my future at all anyways so uh, i quit my job and i started making knives i dived into the deep end and promptly sank straight to the bottom so yeah i uh, i made a whole bunch of knives i've actually got one or two of the original knives is hiding in a bookshelf somewhere that i refuse to look at anymore but oh really uh, you
0: don't pull them out to compare yeah. to your latest
1: one every so often yeah, no, I do. I've looked at them and it's, it's it's shocking. And I see some of the new knife makers these days and I look at them and I say, nah, you got it easy, man. These knives look really nice compared <laughs> to the chewed bubble gum that I used to forge out, you know. So, so yeah. So then I, in 2004, I started making knives full time. I attended my first knife show in 2004 as well. That was the Durban Eastern Knife Show down in Brazil Natal and uh it's been a slow and steady upward rise from there i uh, eventually became a member of the knife makers guild of south africa i think in about 2015 or 2014 i can't be sure but somewhere around there
0: Hmm. which is
1: kind of a uh, prestigious step in the south african knife making community and from there i got my journeyman smith with the american bladesmith society in 2019 when I attended my second blade show. First blade show I went in an attempt to just visit and see all the knives and meet all the makers. I think every photograph with me of, is of me standing next to a knife maker I've only seen pictures of and with knives I've only ever seen <laughs> pictures kind of in a shock and awe situation, like I can't believe I'm here. Second time I we yeah. went there I was a little bit more confident, a little bit more relaxed, and I met with the people that I knew I liked and I hung out with them and it was a far more relaxing experience. In contrast to that, it wasn't actually a relaxing experience because I had my five knives for submission, my journeyman Smith. And that, uh, when you pay thousands and thousands of dollars to get to America, and it's mm-hmm. pass or fail, you know, if you fail, it's sorry, you don't get your money back, you know. No, all it. Do it all I, again. I was lucky I passed. I also made and did my cut and bend test while I was there. So I made my knife at a right. friend's workshop. And uh, I uh, went and did my cut and bend test with uh, ABS Master Smith, Lynn Ray, in his museum in Arkansas.
0: What a and gentleman Lynn is. He's such a nice guy.
1: Fantastic guy. He's one of the, the true gentleman
0: bladesmiths. And
1: the guy can swing a hammer like nobody I've ever seen. I mean,
0: if, if yeah, you're a blade... His finishes look like they came off a grinder. Oh,
1: it's, it's depressing, actually, a little bit watching the work. <laughs> well, the work that he produces but if you've if you've ever seen him forge, i I was in there in person. He forges with a four pound hammer, a cross peen hammer. This thing is chunky. He holds it by mm. the end of the handle. yeah, you know, most of us choke it about halfway or two-thirds of the way, you know, but this guy mm-hmm. holds it and he swings it like it's like 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 it weighs nothing. I tried that for a while, and it makes me
0: tired. <laughs> and he, he doesn't probably, get he probably breaks open macadamias between his thumb and yeah something like just...
1: that yeah cracking walnuts <laughs> with his bare hands so yeah so then uh so then from there i got i was a journeyman smith and i've slowly starting to increase my market to the international because the local market is uh is fine and all but with the increasing number of knife
0: makers in south africa it's best to start, and the exposure you can get online. I mean, you can you can reach the whole world through social media and and whatnot. Absolutely, yes, and
1: people are becoming more and more aware of the work that I'm producing, and uh, I'm slowly becoming more and more confident with the quality of work that I'm producing. I mean, I know guys mm. that have not been doing it as long as me, but have are definitely better knife makers than me. Unfortunately, the way I make knives is the slow, hard way. You know, it's just through constant repetition and very slow improvement. Uh, there's some young knife Which, makers out there that, oh, gee whiz, how, How's how's the podcast on swearing?
0: Oh, no, we're Australian. We're Swearing's fine. Okay, fine. Right. <laughs> when,
1: I, when, I, when I see a guy, a young guy that's coming up and he's so good, it's usually I have that fuck that guy approach in the nicest <laughs> possible way. It's it's not a negative thing. It's just, fuck that guy. He's so good. It bothers me that I'm trying so hard now for 24 years and well, 22 years I've been trying so hard and I'm now just reaching the stage of quality and this guy has been doing it for three years and he's already as good as I am. It's kind of depressing. So these are the guys with natural (laughs) gifts. And I I look, I greatly admire and respect them because uh, I'm not an asshole. So I, uh, yeah and so it's, it's it's interesting because obviously knife making nowadays is more public, whereas when I started knife making, there was no there was no social media.
0: there was no YouTube. that's how old I am. <laughs> mm, well, that's it. I mean it it uh, making that switch to full time like you did um It it would have been a very different prospect back then to what it is now with the advent of Forged in Fire, popularizing knife making, social media being a thing and and, uh, the popularization of custom knives. I mean, there's always been collectors of custom knives, but now because of the prevalence of it, everybody wants custom knives. But jumping back to doing it full time, it would have been terrifying. I mean, back,
1: back then in 2004, when I started making knives, the idea of selling knives overseas was a foreign concept because mm. the internet can was reach in its relative infancy. And the only way to communicate really with people overseas with these was through emails, you know? Yeah. And we didn't have WhatsApp back then. There was no convenience no. of instant communication anywhere in the world. The way I sold my knives was through flea markets, through hunting festivals and hunting shows, um, in Afrikaans, in South Africa, we have something called the mampurfias, which is where they sell basically South African moonshine and uh, right. all, the, all the variations thereof. And uh, you would have yourself a little knife table there. And when you had, you're sitting next to old granny singing, selling doilies and homemade jam and there's Harry Stewart Smith <laughs> and selling his knives trying to make a living. So yeah, I was every weekend at some ridiculous show or another in a desperate attempt to sell and publicize my knives as much as possible. And uh, for me, the advent of social media and the ease of communication around the world is just, it's a blessing because now it's so easy. I post a picture on my Instagram and within two hours, that knife is sold. This is why I don't even take orders anymore because every knife I make Mm. sells, And it's, It's a, it's a great blessing and uh, a, a, a boon to the, the the success of the business that I'm now trying to run.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And now getting um, the recognition that, frankly, you should have been getting a long time ago um, with appearing on the cover of Blade magazine. I was so excited when I saw your knife there. Um, I mean, people people rightly so should be chasing your work. It's stunning. That,
1: that was a surreal experience. I mean, I know many knife makers who've had their knives on the cover of Blade magazine. I recognise them, and uh, I know Lynn Ray has had a. I think he's had a, a knife on the cover. And uh, I don't know how it changes you as a knife maker. I mean, I know for your own ego, it's a definite you know, it's validation. Yes, it's a certain validation, and it's not just my knife. My name is on the cover. It says Stuart Anthony Smith, Linehart's knife, and and. It's like wow you know you you kind of have a big head for a couple of days it's fantastic but then you start did thinking. they tell you that they were going to do it no this was a total surprise <laughs> I actually i messaged shackelford because okay so the, the, okay how, how it happened was my um uh, uh one of my fellow knife making friends in america uh from yellis cutlery or yellis knives anyways he sent hey he said hey buddy i i got this today and he sent me a picture all the pictures you see of that cover with that dirty thumb that's his thumb mm-hmm. holding the magazine that he sent me the picture of, and um, that's how I found out about it. It was through somebody else who got an early copy of that of that magazine. Now that magazine is going to be, according to um, Steve Shackelford, because I messaged Steve Shackelford, the, the the editor, and I said to him, I "said Thank you very much. That's I mean I don't know I don't know what to say. I'm kind of speechless." And he he was very kind and accommodating. He said, no, no, it was a great knife. It's a great photograph. You know, it was, we felt it suited the cover perfectly. And and that's all she wrote, really. And now I just have to ride this wave of glory and fame and success and figure (laughs) out what fancy car I'm going to buy. (laughs)
0: That's right.
1: (laughs) One with knives mounted on it. Yeah, with big knives painted on the side, yes. No, no, no. But, um, joking aside, I genuinely sat down and considered. What does it mean to have your knife so publicly acknowledged? Does it mean that you just become known? Is it going to affect my business? Am I going to get calls for people wanting knives because I was featured in a, in a magazine? I've been in Blade once before for one of my knives, but that's just in a maker section at the back um i've got knives in the knives annuals i think about four or five in two or three years of the knives annuals and that's not boosted my sales or my popularity at all i've not that i've noticed so i'm just curious i mean it's like i said it's great for the ego and it's great for the validation but does it actually is it going to help me is it going to make me any money i don't know we'll see we'll it's see when later. A shame that you uh... That's when thousands and thousands of those magazines are going to be distributed to uh, potential customers. And also my knife will be on auction. So the knife on the cover there is actually the ABS auction knife that I donated to the ABS for the purpose of uh, obviously earning them some money so they can support their uh, funds and uh, their, their, their charities and whatever they support. And I think there's six knives, amongst of which is Niels Fun knife, the nice dagger that he got there. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. Josh Smith has got a, a Bowie in there as well. So, yeah, so there's a couple of big knife makers there. But, I mean, I don't want to blow my own horn, but when I looked at my knife amongst those others, it certainly stands out, you know. It's, Maybe, a,
0: it's a it's a striking piece.
1: Maybe because it's a monster, okay. it's It's got a 14-and-a-half-inch blade. It's it's almost two inches wide, you know, at the, at the, mm. at the and of course, the masterful inlays from Tian Berger of the um, the uh, Richard the Lionheart shield that I used for the clam yeah, the guard. rampant lions. Well, it's actually a clamshell guard, but I'm calling it a shield guard because I've I've converted the clamshell portion into a sh- coat of arms style type shield. So yeah, so we'll see. It's I'm a, very excited to see it's what. It's
0: a shame shame you can't make it to Blade Show this year because no, I reckon you'd be probably bell of the ball walking around there.
1: I certainly hope so. I I mean, so I I certainly believe I might have, but unfortunately, it's just a financial thing, you know. I can't afford to go right now. I mean, it's not just traveling to America; that's actually the cheap bit. The expensive bit is staying in America, because when your when your currency, your trade of exchange is sixteen to one, which means every for every dollar I spend, I'm spending sixteen of my local currency. Uh, Just buying a
0: can of Coke is uh, is going to make me broke, you know. It's um, it's an unfortunate reality of that sort of thing. I mean, local blade shows can only do so much when the the world seems to revolve. The knife world seems to revolve centrally around the the ABS in America and and what's going on in America. so. Yeah. But, I mean, yes. Um,
1: see, ideally, I'd love to move to America. That was a plan at one stage, but unfortunately, emigrating uh, is not. First, first of all, COVID hit as we started our plans yeah. to try and make an attempt to see what we could do but the second thing is um myself i don't have a job so i'm a self-employed yeah. i'm not exactly on the uh, ideal list of candidates for potential immigration uh immigratees if you want to call them immigrants oh, there we go fancy words there you go so yeah. it's not like i am going to say hey i've got my own business and i want to move to your country and earn some money there, and they're going to say, yeah, well, how do we know you're not just going to be homeless? And what are you going to do? And so, like I said, I'm not exactly an ideal candidate, unless I could prove myself an incredibly successful business, which I'm successful enough here in South Africa, but elsewhere, who knows? The other option I have is a yeah. diversity lottery, which is what we're going to try again this year, because now with, obviously, COVID coming, I don't, I don't know about coming to an end, but certainly easing up and travel becoming more... Uh, easily accessible once more uh, we may Mm. stand a chance of winning a green card and being able to go to America so that's the plan at some point but for now I'm quite happy we've settled in here and we've accepted our role as South
0: African knife makers so we shall see what goes forward from there Well you're certainly being successful at that there's no reason you couldn't be successful elsewhere.
1: Uh, That's the great thing about what I do is I I can be a knife maker anywhere in the world I ship most of my yeah. stuff to America anyway. So if I go and yeah. live in America, it certainly costs me less on shipping.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, one, um, I mean, that immigration thing, this it, it, it sort of does make you think, like what were you saying? The resourcefulness is what makes you good at what you do. Because like you said, you could be a knife maker anywhere. Um, and we've talked about on the show, um, Getting used to working with less equipment because if you had to move an entire knife shop, you, you you wouldn't be able to take power hammers with you. You wouldn't be able to take presses with you. It'd just be ph- oh, I, phenomenally I assure- prohibitively expensive to move them all.
1: I assure you that if no matter where in the world I move, that press is coming with me because it's the best fucking. Press <laughs> yeah, you reckon? <laughs> and that's my baby, and um I will I will leave the beds and the clothes at home. That press is coming with.
0: I've just got this mental image of you on a plane, and you've booked the seat next to you, and the press is seat belted in, (laughs) 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 cramming it into the overhead. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. but um, my baby, you were. uh, When when you were talking about how when you went for your journeyman, you actually did your uh, cut and bend test with a knife that you made there. Um, We had uh, Jason Knight on Master Smith. Jason Knight on uh, a couple episodes ago. Um and i, I agree with a, a stance that he has that uh for uh journeyman and mastersmith they should actually be made to make the knife in front of them um as because uh, being the, the process of forging it should be judged just as much as the final um uh test the, the actual um impact tests and and cutting tests and and all that sort of thing but i think it would make um I I agree with him that that would be a great thing to do, and you kind of actually sort of embodied that, just not in front of the master smith panel.
1: Well, not yeah, not quite in front of Lynn, but Lynn's seen me work. He's seen he seen what I do, so he said he was fairly confident that I did actually make the knife. Also, the gentleman I yeah. stayed, he um, he was there when I made it, and he's friends with Lynn. so there was no doubt that I actually made the knife, and my technique was at least possible for the uh, process of performing the cut and bend test.
0: So. Yeah, I don't think it's mu- as much about uh, the authenticity of the the construction, but more just the showing the the understanding and the skill that goes into it. I mean, you could either make one uh, that knife, that performance knife, in three hours, or you could make it in fifty hours, and it, yeah. you know, it shows the shows the level of skill of the maker and, and the speed in which they can do it and the cleanliness with which they can do it. Um it, it's actually my co-host, who's normally on the show but isn't isn't here this week. Sam did a uh, YouTube video where he made one out of a, a car card leaf spring and quenched it in hydraulic fluid and uh, did did the ninety degree bend test with it and the chop test. and and um yeah, it it passed everything. and it was uh, it was quite an experience to watch him actually do that.
1: well, it's the it's the knowledge that you can employ into the materials and the techniques that you have. I mean, I, I, I'm quite, I'm fairly confident that I could take a leaf spring and turn it into a cut and bend knife successfully, um, much the same as I could if I took a proper piece of 52100 or 1080 or whatever it was, and do the heat treating, because I, when I started making knives, there were no knife shops, no supply mm. shops, we had to. Find places that supplied the size of belts that we needed for our grinders and the few guys that were making grinders back then were the only ones that supplied them and there was only like one brand available 3m or whatever it was back then now i go and there's knife supplies everywhere i can find anything that i need i needed belts the other day i phoned the one guy he didn't have what i needed i just phoned another guy and he said okay we got we need we'll ship it to you this morning the courier Arrives and delivers my belts that to do my doorstep. I didn't have to go climb into my car and drive around trying to find the damn stuff. So yeah, I think what if a lot of modern knife makers, anything, anything in the last ten years, I think, um, failed to grasp the difficulty, especially in South Africa, that we had, of trying to become a successful knife maker when there was no industry to fall back on, of supply and demand, because. There were so first there were so few knife makers and even fewer bladesmiths I might add okay because yeah. uh, the, the the history of knife making South Africa all comes from stock removal yeah okay so, vegan
0: knife
1: making vegan knife making yes <laughs> <laughs> uh, when Kevin Harvey came along he and a few others um, introduced bladesmithing to the uh, knife making community in South Africa. He, him, and Ke- him and Heather Harvey, because Heather Harvey was a farrier, and uh, she was a, a very competent blade uh, uh, blacksmith, and Kevin was only doing stock removal. He was grinding knives out of stainless steel, like most people did, and uh, she taught him the art of forging, and he employed those skills into forging knives. Granted, there were guys in America doing it, obviously, but it, in South Africa, it was unheard of, you know, and this was the... Mm. Eighties, early nineties, the nineteen nineties. You know, that's a yeah, so long ago it was. When I say the nineties, it's like, hey, we haven't reached the nineties yet. We're only in the twenties.
0: It's one (coughs) of those important things, especially if you're going to sort of uh, scrap rat, which most when people first start out, a lot of people are scrapping around and trying to get steel because buying virgin bars of steel is expensive. But When
1: when I started, we had to do exactly that knives from old files from leaf springs mm. i was making live knives of leaf springs for five years before anybody bought in 1080 or 1070 or anything of that sort you know and we had to literally and i had to go to the places that were selling exotic woods but they would only sell to companies that were manufacturing fancy furniture and i'd ask them if yeah. i could go their off cuts and i was picking up mm-hmm. bits of that blackwood and local hardwoods just from all the offcuts in the piles because nobody was supplying handle blocks. I mean, yeah, the, the, one of the top suppliers of local South African hardwoods is Presono Timbers. And the guy there, Etienne, when I first found him, I made friends with him and he was only selling wood turning blanks for bowls and musical instruments. Right. And I would sit there for two hours going through all the bowl blanks, looking for ones with nice grain, and then he's got a big bandsaw and all the woodworking tools and stuff there, and he would then take the pieces that I want and he would cut them up into wood blocks. And I got some of the most amazing pieces back in the day. And now yeah. he's granted the wood, uh, the knife making side of the woodworking, the the, the the blocks and stuff is only a small part of his business, maybe about one two percent, because the majority of his stuff goes overseas for musical instruments and um wood turning clubs and whatnot and he sells it by the ton. So a couple of knife makers coming in buying a, maybe a couple hundred blocks of wood. There's not a big dent in his budget. But he likes no. doing it, likes the knife making community. And uh thank goodness for that, because he now takes the effort and the time to take good looking blocks of wood and cut them up for us. And when he goes shopping mm. for his the, the big business of Persona uh, of the worldwide business, he is constantly Keeps on the diet. For all yeah. the good stuff, got some top curly maple from him, some brilliant bird's eye, some all sorts of fascinating woods that you would never think of using, because he's always got his eye out, and he does that because I used to sit there for hours on end picking through those piles of wood, and and I'm grateful now that because not not because I was there from the beginning when he gets the good wood, I get the call first, and. Yeah. Um, and then all my buddies say, how the hell did you get such nice wood? And it's like, well, I visit his factory often. And whenever I pop there and they've just cut wood, he says, hey, come look at this. And usually it's like, oh, God, no, what has he got for me now? And uh, I already owe him so much money. And I, basically, I've got a, a floating <laughs> tab, him, you know. And uh, Yeah, but every- he probably
0: enjoyed the fact that you were excited about the thing that made him excited. And so they could, it was an excuse for him to share in that excitement.
1: No, definitely. Look, he, he's like me. He loves wood. And my claim to fame or claim to shame, if you want to call it that, is that I've actually bought wood out the boot of a car in a parking lot at night, <laughs> a sweet hotel, like a criminal <laughs> purchasing drugs. So yes, uh, that, that's, I've done that before. It's when we were packing up for a show. And uh, I said, what have you got? I missed something. And he opened up and there we were. Like, If the cops had driven by, I think they might have... Pulled over, pulled us over, and asked some some slightly suspicious questions.
0: <laughs> that would have, uh, yeah, that would have led to some confusion, I reckon. <laughs> now, on on um, the show, we we like to go through what everyone's been doing uh, in the last week, sort of like a sh- an insight into the week that we've just had of of somebody. Because I mean, you do this full time, I do this full time, Sam does it full time, Um yeah. So. Uh, What I've been up to this week for the listeners out there, I've um, just finished uh, the Quillen dagger that I've been working on um, that has the Mokumagane and Pewter fittings. Um, First time working with Pewter on a a, a project. Uh, It's a very non-conventional material for a dagger, but uh, I wanted to do something That was unconventional and uh, quite happy with how it came out. The um, pewter oxidizes very, very quickly. So um, everything was finished to 400 grit and then allowed to oxidize. And it turns into this very sort of matte gunmetal looking finish, which makes the polished Mokimogane pop really, really nicely. Um, And I was quite happy with how it came out.
1: amazing dagger, by the way. Anybody who hasn't seen this should pop onto your Instagram and have a look. It's really cool. I like it.
0: Yeah, thank you. It's it's very different, um, and it's my, um, my first keyhole dagger. Uh, the last keyhole I did, or the first keyhole I did was on a pocket knife, um, and I really wanted to try it on a, a full-size keyhole, and um, I made it a little bit easier for myself making it out of pewter because pewter carves so beautifully, um, <laughs> but it... Um, no, I was, it was quite, quite good. I was, I was quite happy with it. So it'll be, uh, a, a cases padded cases being made by my lovely wife for it at the moment. So it'll be um, up for sale soon. Um, and I've started work on my next, um, sort of high end folder. I like to every so often do a, something that is a real challenge for me, something new, something different. that's just to push myself. Um, and I started work on that and, um, I had. The last high-end folder I did, Tusk, the one with the mammoth Tusk scales, um, had such a long wait list of people for it. Unfortunately, person number one took it. So I had all these people on this wait list that missed out. And as soon as I announced on Instagram that that I'm starting work on another one, most of them have added themselves to the wait list for this one. And I haven't even – I've just cut the the, the blade blank. (laughs) That's it. What's the kind of business you like? You know where it is. It's I it's thought, encouraging Your oh, work. When yes, yeah, yeah. On it, they want a piece of it, you know? Yeah, but it's uh, it's intimidating to have just started on a project and have all these eyes on it. Um, <laughs> and I have no idea where I'm going with it. I'm not uh, I know Neil's always gets up me about this. I don't really plan projects much. I, I like to have them uh, a vague idea in my head of where I'm going with it, um, and I like to sort of have it evolve. Um, from there, so I don't even know what this now is going to look like. Um, but it's worked for me for the last few years, and <laughs> it's going to keep working on. Um, my song of the week that I'd like to add to the playlist is actually an interesting one. and I have a feeling I know the vein that Stuart's song of the week is going to be in because I know what he's been listening to lately. Um, <laughs> but this is something that I discovered recently, and it's actually um, M- Maori metal. You know, the Maori wow. people of New Zealand. Cool. Imagine a haka dance with the chant, but to heavy metal. And oh, you've got Maori It's in, It's incredible. Um, and the, the band is called Alien Weaponry. Uh, I, I'd never heard of them before, but they did a song called, uh, I'm probably going to butcher this pronunciation, because all of the lyrics of all their songs are in Maori um which i can't speak but this song is called ruana ter wanua and it is oh it'll get you fired up let me tell you it's the sort of thing you want to crank it because it starts out with just voice chant of a haka. i I believe it's a haka, and then the drums kick in and then the electric guitar the heavy like sort of guitar comes in and it just oh it gets the heart rate going it's bloody brilliant so um that's that i'll oh, add that to the forge cast playlist and people need to need to listen to this if you did not know about uh, maori metal before you got you got to get on on this
1: and, and, and on, the, on a similar vein there is a mongolian heavy metal band i don't know if you know the who I, yeah the who band. now the who band spelled h-u are also yeah. a, a very similar vein they do a lot of mongolian throat singing and
0: then the metal kicks in and oh yeah like you
1: said Fires you up, you want to grab your sword and shield and go out and
0: butcher savages. Yep, yep. Yep. So um what what have you been up to this week?
1: Myself, I am preparing knives to pay bills. The, the business of knife making, not necessarily the creation of knife making. So I've got two small Bowie knives. <laughs> when the shield I say small, maiden one. Um, yeah, the two shield maidens I finished last week. Now, Shield Maiden, oh, cool. just have a look at my Instagram profile there. You'll see it's, a, it's a, a small knife. Well, the Shield Maiden itself is the handle design, not necessarily the knife itself. I've done Hunters yeah. with the Shield Maiden handle. I've done Pukos with the Shield Maiden handle. I want to do a Bowie knife with the Shield Maiden handle. I think that'll look pretty cool. Now, the Shield Maiden handle is uh, generally a, a red style wood that I get either desert ironwood or snake beam or snake wood or anything that, that's got a, like a reddish-brown hue to it. And those sandwich on either side of a blackwood and maple uh, composite that's got the kind of uh, pie wedge style Viking shield. Um, mm-hmm. if, that, if, like, is there, if that's a correct description of it. So I've got a little yeah. cross on it. Uh, and, it's, and I've got a little uh, steel button that goes in the middle to form like the center of the shield and those are pretty cool yeah i could have sold those two knives four or five times over they're very a lot of people like them and then to this this week i've got some small eight inch bowies i call them hunting bowies and uh those are in a side what i call sideways damascus so sideways w's so if you've ever made a double generally it's about between 40 and 60 layers that you then put on its side and you crush to create the little C's and you cut the C's mm. and you stack and they become W's. Now, generally the recipe for a W's is your 60 layers, you draw it out on its side, you cut it into four, you draw it out, you cut it into four, and then you either ladder or concertina that and it creates some really cool W's. But now, before I ladder it out, instead of drawing it out, I turn it back on its side again and then I draw it out that way. And then I put the the ladder in there and it creates a, a very strange pool and eye type W's. It's 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 not quite W's, it's something different. But I want to play around with the design some more, maybe making a bit more coarse and a bit more fine and see which one looks the best. But uh, if, if, some, if you, enjoy, some you want of to the look Damascus at the on Instagram for the next couple of days and you'll see the progress pictures of those going up. And uh, right now I'm working on the handles for those, which are going to be small ball guard handles. Uh, one's going to have oh, a cool. copper, copper and red, and black bull. I've got a red and black bull in the workshop, die stabilized. And then I've got a stainless steel guard, ball guard. I'm going to do with a um, stabilized blue uh, maple handle, and uh, the stainless steel and the blue go together very beautifully. And I'm looking forward to those finishing those because I think they look kind of sexy. I'm really getting the hang of these ball guards, and I want to keep doing them until I've like I've got it down to a T, and then I'll move on to something Polish else. Those balls, yeah, but I love yeah, yeah yeah. Look out for those polished balls, absolutely.
0: <laughs> um, I, I'll still never get over. Uh, we talked to Kyle Royer a while back about the dagger he did, where he um, did a black mirror finish uh, on all of these fittings, and oh jeez. Yeah, there's something about a polished sphere and the way that the light hits it that just is hypnotizing.
1: Absolutely. Now, Carl, Carl's work is a... Uh, I mean, you, you look at that and you think, wow, that's fantastic. That's amazing. Look at the quality and the level of detail. How can I possibly get that? Well, the way you can get that is by working on it for three months. That's how you get that. Mm. I mean, I, mm. I get frustrated if it takes me more than a day to make a God. That guy spends a week on a God. You know
0: he he is patience personified. Absolutely, he's a funny guy.
1: I uh, I enjoy watching his videos, but what I find funny about his video, he's a hand talker. And when he talks, he's got both hands up next to his head. I mean, now uh, uh, Alex is watching my picture while we're talking, and he and he talks like this a lot, like he's trying to yeah. direct And it's just it's it's amusing to watch him. And now that I've said it, it's like Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, anybody who watches Carl's videos now is
0: gonna notice it. And you can't unsee it once somebody points it out. I have to admit to being quite a hand talker most of the time. I'm quite tired tonight, but normally I'm very handsy when I talk. I think I've got must have some Italian in me or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, look at talking about the Damascus in the buoys that you do. I've I've been uh, hypnotized for quite a while by the uh, your ability to get short chatoyants in damascus um thinking a few weeks back you did a, uh, a desert ironwood handled buoy that yeah, yeah. had a sort of uh, crisscross like chicken wire pattern of uh, chatoyants through the damascus and it's you do some of the nicest chatoyant damascus i've seen thank you you wish to know my secrets what was that sorry I said you wish to know the secrets i do know that i i do wish to know the secrets i'm pretty sure i know what they are but it's actually um, not
1: because a lot of guys have messaged me and and i actually did i listened and i got the technique from listening to kyle and watching his videos and i'll watch his videos i think with more of a critical eye other than a person who is, is tuned into a youtube video that's interesting I'm a knife maker who tunes into his YouTube video to learn something. And uh, everything he says, my mind picks out the things that are useful. And what he pointed out was when he etches his blades, he etches it for about five to 10 minutes. He pulls it out. He takes takes it to the sink and he cleans off all the oxides with either a um, a steel wool or sandpaper. And uh, he washes it, cleans it. And then he puts it back in the acid and every time you do that mm. keeping that first of all you're keeping the etch crisp so the etch, the 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 etch and the ferric chloride is not eating trying to eat through layers of oxide it's now directly etching onto that onto the the steel and what that does is certainly it gives you a much crisper edge and the crisper your etch, the more chatoyants you're going to get out of your blade because the chatoyance, it's just basically the the light that falls on the blade is falling into the little grooves where the etch has happened and casting shadows in those little grooves. And the closer those grooves are together or the further they are apart, creates that kind of rippled, corrugated effect that you're getting. And that's how, I do learned you... how to, that's how I learned how to do it, just from watching him and employing what he said, and obviously a little bit of trial and error on my part.
0: Do you ever buff the um, the high spots with fine steel walls, sort of knock off the the cor- sharp corners of the, the tops of the ridges uh, of the Damascus?
1: I don't find it necessary because it's not so deep that it's it's like uh, uh, it creates corners. But but my method is I I etch and clean, etch and clean. I do it about six or seven times, okay, until I can start to feel with my nail the layers, all right?
0: Hmm.
1: Then on the last three etches, I pull it out, I clean it with a 1200 grit. I sit there and I re hand sand the whole blade to a 1200 grit. I clean it off with, with, with washing soap. I make sure it's nice and, uh, and degreased. And then I put it back in for another five minutes. Then I pull it out and I hand polish it to a 2,000 grit. And then I clean it again and I put it in for a last time. And then I take it out and I give it a either 2,500 or a 3,000 grit finish. And um, and then I give it a light buff on the buffing wheel. And the buff takes those, those, the, the shiny parts and makes them like a mirror. And then once that's done I soak it in degreaser to get rid of all the buffing compound that's now stuck in your carbon layers and uh, I just keep degreasing until the degreaser comes off clear and there's no black or brown or crap left in it and then I take it to the kitchen and then I wash it with warm soapy water soft side of a sponge and I keep going until I see no remnants of the, the buffing compound and then we coffee etch it and the coffee etch obviously brings out the the darkness of the um, carbon layers, and it leaves the the, uh, the, the nickel, nickel untouched. Mm. So yeah, that's how I do it. It's a long process. And there's something I've discovered is you don't do anything else while you're doing it. Yeah. So if you've got knife yeah. to grind, don't grind that knife. If you've got a handle to work on, don't work on the handle. You want to play on your phone, listen to an audio book or something, but don't do anything that distracts you because it's happened to me where I got carried away and I left the knife in the acid overnight and I forgot about it. And it's <laughs> and what, what might be best described as an
0: antique finish. Uh, my, my wife did her first uh, Damascus knife recently. And um, I explained the whole process to her very much thinking that she wasn't going to want to sit through the entire amount of work that it is. Cause it is a lot of work if you want to do it right. Um, but, she did it it took a uh, she did it over the course of two days and she just sat there hand sanding it polishing it etching it cleaning it polishing it going up the grits just until her fingers were numb she had hand sanding grit all in her, <laughs> her finger that to keep washing her hands That's had the sore shoulders she... That's right. It's the one she put up recently, the QMI with Damascus jacket, and uh, it That's came out stunning. It was beautiful.
1: It's a beautiful knife. I'm very impressed with her work, eh? She's starting to
0: outshine you a little, eh? You have to be careful there. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be a kept man soon. That's the plan.
1: <laughs> the best kind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she's only been doing it eight months, and um, she's, wow. she's learning That's in different. leaps and bounds. Yeah. Um, I've taught her everything I can and she's just running with it now and, and she'll be teaching me soon and easily. Um, but uh, I'm pretty sure I, I know what the answer to this question is going to be, but uh, who who's going to be a song of the week for you? It
1: was a difficult choice, eh? because there's so many
0: that I love so much. My favorite band, one of my
1: favorite bands is uh, Sabaton. Mm. And, uh, there are several of my favorite songs. Um, it is hard to choose which one. There's one that I know, The w- one of the few songs that I know all the words to is called Sparta. And uh, mm-hmm. that's the one if I need to rock out and I need to get my blood pumping and we need to, st- I mean, forgy, Forging Fuel. I listen to Sparta or uh, At A Crunch, Winged Hussars, which is on, on, on my two top listening lists. But uh, there's any number of uh, Sabaton songs. I can listen to the entire discography. There's not there's not one song that I don't like of theirs.
0: Uh... Yeah, fair enough. It's great when you have a band that's like that, because uh, I, I get quite picky with music sometimes, and I'll only like one or two songs of a band. But when you find a band, like uh, for me, it's a band called the Cat Empire. I will listen to any and all songs of theirs and and they keep putting out new albums and i keep loving every song on there there's never a dud and it's it's a special thing when you find a band like that yeah you just know you can always listen to him so, absolutely um believe it or not it's not the first time sabaton's been added to the forge cast playlist so um Ooh, you and you and that? sam towns sam my I, co-host I sam that. has added a, a couple of times he's a big sabaton fan
1: excellent then we have something to talk to if only he was here samuel
0: i know lazy good heavens yeah. <laughs> now we have a tradition that we ask every guest to tell us about their anvil and I, we know most people have multiple anvils but everybody's got that special anvil the one that maybe started it all the one you like the most yeah. um we know, we want to know the story of it. How did it come into your possession? It's usually not the case that people just buy it. It's it's usually a yeah. story behind it.
1: Well, mine well, mine does have, a, 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 I wouldn't say a unique story, but it definitely has a story. Uh, when I first started making knives and toying with knife making when I was the at the tender age of about 24, um, my father, who wanted to spark this interest in me, even though I no longer lived at home, he, he he took it upon himself to uh he, to, to try and uh, light a flame inside me for something different and something new. So he, he was the one who paid for my course to go to Kevin Harvey, and um, while we while I was doing that over the few weeks, we contacted another knife maker, a very famous knife maker in South Africa called Bertie Rietveld. He's famous for mm. his award-winning art daggers. I mean, he yeah. he also goes to the uh, New York Custom Invitational art shows you know all, all the big he's, he's amongst the big names of knife making in the world anyways yeah. and he had he had a 75 kg anvil for sale for the the whopping price of 400 rand uh that,
0: oh, wow
1: right that equates to let's just do some rough math about twenty dollars twenty five dollars yeah <laughs> and that was in the year 2000 that i got that anvil yeah he drove all the way out to his farm in the middle of the Michalisburg. And uh, we lugged l- l- that fan angle into my car and we drove it all the way back. And I set it up in my first workshop, which was in the bottom of my garden, under a lean to And I had a two meter by two meter tool shed, which I crammed my grinder and my drill press into. And I had to grind with the door open. And uh, that's how I yep. was making I was in the beginning, and that's how I made my living for the first two or three years in that tiny workshop before I excavated out the garage, which is now where I have my workshop. And uh, it's been that tiny little space, and my tools have increased, but my space hasn't increased. So there's only kind yeah. of a workshop for me, one by myself now. But yes, I've had several anvils over the years, and hard times has always forced me to sell them. And the one anvil that I will never sell is the first anvil, the one that I got. And uh, I'm very happy with her. She's had many reconditions and many surfacings. Still got the same anvil stand I had that I welded together when I when I put it together uh, 20 years ago. So yep, yeah. So that's the story of my anvil. It's an interesting story. Do about you know what Nielsen's make it is? Anvils. That I don't know if he ever told
0: you. We asked him about his, and he said, "Which one? They're all just anvils. They're all just in the shop together."
1: Well, one one day I was at here's a story. One day I was at Niels's workshop. I think this was when he was Slim Pretoria before he moved out to the farm. And I've got a knife that I forged for a cutting competition. I forged the knife, and while I was um heat treating it, I tried to straighten it during the quench and it snapped. And that was the day before I was leaving to go to the hammering. So I quickly whipped out another knife from a thinner piece of leaf spring. And I've got that knife today. It sits in my workshop. Gunny. Oh no, sorry, you can't see it sorry, this is not a video, damn it, I've got to show it to you, <laughs> it's called Bessie, okay? It's the ugliest piece of sharpened leaf spring that you've ever seen, okay? <laughs> However, I did something right. The heat treating was right, the the, the bevels, the, the edge geometry, everything was right, and it was a champion uh, cutting knife that won the competition in the end. But uh, one day, I was at Niels's house when he would taken up knife making, and I said, and I had the knife with me at the end of one of the one of the meetings we had at his house. The one day, and I said, "What do you think it would win, the knife or the anvil?" And everyone was like, "Oh <laughs> no, it's going to win this." And I said, "Fine, let's see what happens." I took the knife edge edge on, and I chopped the corner of the anvil, and the knife, the edge of the knife, chipped, and there was a piece of the knife wedged into the corner of that anvil, that he. <laughs> Ground over and welded over, so we don't know which anvil it was. So one of his anvils, he's got a workshop. He's got a piece of Bessie wedged in the side of it. <laughs> he uh, did not a,
0: tell us that story. We call it a we call it a
1: win for their knife. I think the knife beat the anvil because it was a big <laughs> slice. It was it was, it was a it was about six or seven millimeters into the into the the face
0: of the anvil, the corner. Does that know? does that mean Bessie is a Morgul blade, leaving a splinter in in the anvil like that? maybe maybe it has control over it and some maybe (laughs) you are secretly Niels's puppet master this whole time that's the truth (laughs) (laughs) he is actually the most regular guest on this show he's been on I think four times now and he's never told us that story
1: ah well Niels says a lot but I don't think a lot is said if you know what I mean
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh god so You've you've been in this industry for a while, longer than probably most people that are in the industry at the moment. Given the how prolific it has become, um, you would have seen its community change a lot. And you're you're a, a very um, I, I, at least from my perspective, a very positive voice in the community in the way you speak out about things and support uh, new makers, uh, even if you are thinking fuck them because they're, they're, they're better than you, would, you know, think they should be. But
1: that's that's
0: uh, the but friend, fuck them. Uh, Yeah, it is. It is. It's the Australian one. Um, yeah. <laughs> but in that time, I mean, it's, it's a long time to have been in an industry. How have you seen that community change? Do you see it as being for better or for worse?
1: Well, I think it's for the better, for the most part, because generally the kind of person who makes a knife is one of a few things. They're either technically minded. Most of the times, they're pretty, the tech, these technically minded people are relatively down to earth because they realize that to get things done, you have to work. You have to put in work. You have to do hard work. It's not like you get a participation prize just for trying because if you don't put the work in, you won't produce anything because being a knife maker is being a producer. You, You have to take the raw ingredients and you have to smash them together and hand forth a finished product to either a customer or a viewing crowd. So there's a certain mindset involved in making knives. So the community in general is fairly friendly and down to earth and there's a definite type of person that becomes a knife maker. I mean, granted, I, I can't name any names right now. Not, 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 a lack of, not a lack of willingness. I just can't think of any because uh, any knife makers who are unpleasant or negative or anything like that, I, I, I can't, can quite literally not think of any right now because most of the guys I talk to are really generous with their time and uh, with their knowledge. I've come across one or mm. two guys who kind of hold their knowledge back, but I can look at the, being a knife maker myself, I can look at their work and I can reverse engineer what they've done. And I can tell them what they did. And they kind of look at me a bit yeah. disappointed thinking, oh, wow, I thought I had something special. You know, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's, a yeah. very rare, that's a very rare case. But yeah, in the in the old days, the communities were different because there was, like I said, there was no social media. There was no internet. We had to get around by phoning people and talking people and taking out adverts in magazines and newspapers and and uh, there was a, a, a almost like a um, uh, what do you call it a, a, a chain mail phone chain mail type thing that you had amongst the oh, knife. it's right. gonna be a meeting. You had to phone yep. them. And, Listen, we're having a knife meeting. We're gonna be there. Yes, we'll be there. It's all pitch up with bells on. And nowadays, I can with with WhatsApp. I can click one message. I can say right. I want to host a meeting. Who's got a space within 10 minutes? Somebody says, Yeah, you can come over to my place. And uh, within two days, I've got a group of people I know that are going to attend. So, and then we're ready to go. The only thing holding you back these days is just the willingness to do it, you know, because, uh, well,
0: it's I wanted uh, to actually ask you about that because when, when we talked about you back in episode 155, um, I mean, from your perspective, it seems it seems that your your attitude is very different to to uh, what I was saying about you. But your work ethic is legendary to me. Your, your output is phenomenal. Like how much you get done.
1: Um, and I wanted to actually,
0: I, I know. I mean, you seem to think that you're getting nothing done, but it's it's incredible watching just knife after knife after knife, and each one with this consistent level of excellence that just does not fade, does not wane. You don't seem to have a bad run. It's just constant gold. And I wanted to actually ask if you had any advice for people that do struggle with motivation.
1: Now you talk about that and a lot of guys have asked me and I've offered, I don't often offer advice because nobody likes to be told what to do. So, I uh, try and be as diplomatic as possible, but every now and again you can see that somebody needs some help. But I have a simple mantra that I try and get guys to embrace. And that mantra is make knives. Okay. Mm. So, if you're a hobbyist, it's the, okay, granted, not if necessary, if you're a hobbyist, but I think if you're a professional knife maker, you're making knives to earn a living. Now, Working for yourself is one of the hardest things in the world because it requires a lot of discipline, which I don't have, by the way. If my wife's listening to me, she knows that I do not have a lot of discipline. And I can see my daughter's <laughs> looking at my wife and now my wife is smiling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but even with that lack of discipline, I still manage and I still get through it and I still produce knives and I still sell knives and I still make money. But there is that big thing of how do i do it how do i stay motivated so i use the mantra of make knives do you need money make a knife if We you can sell that knife you can make money do you have money excellent buy stuff make a better knife are you sad make a knife when you finish a knife there's nothing more satisfying than completing a product there is a great ego boost there's a great psychological boost and I look at the knives when I finish them, and it, I feel good. It makes me feel like I have accomplished something. Uh, it the make knives answers almost every question. You got some spare time on your hand? Make a knives. You're too busy. You should be busy making knives. You know, and and, and generally employ this 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 simple uh, thought process to everything. Make knives. And if you're trying to get a business running and you're struggling, that's the one. I that's. That's the primary thing that I tell the guys: just make knives. That's the answer to every question. Fighting with your wife, fighting with your wife? Go make a knife. Just had sex. With, <laughs> just have sex with your wife. Use that energy. Go make another knife. You know. <laughs> so it answers every question. But that's that's the kind of a, I think that's just more the anecdotal uh, evidence, uh, advice that I could give. You know. Uh, other than that, it, the building motivation is very very difficult because especially with COVID. A lot of people lost their jobs. They were kind of forced because they're now more knife makers than they were ever before. And the reason for that is because a lot of guys lost their jobs. And then the only thing they knew how to do was make a knife. Now, this happened to me uh, 16 years before COVID hit. Okay. Yeah. So I've, this happened to me before it was a problem. And now all these people who are not used to being introverts, people who sit in your workshop, work by themselves. They've never had to do this before because they've always been in an office environment or an environment where there's a crew around them and they've got people to interact with. Now you're sitting by yourself in the workshop and suddenly you're alone with your own thoughts and it can be quite daunting. So Mm. once you get the hang of that, once you become accustomed to how life is now that you're a knife maker, you do become a bit of a hermit, but that's okay. And uh, you're looking at, the money that you're making or the money that you're not making, because that's where it comes from, essentially, is you have to make money because you need to pay the bills. This is the bottom line. That's how the world works. Yeah. people can be all noble and self-righteous and say, oh, no, it's the art. I'm doing it because I want to. These are people who have jobs. All right. But the wheel keeps turning. Exactly. So how do you, you're not making sales and it's bringing you down and you can't get into the workshop. You're sleeping late. You know, and you just don't want to go in there. And I have to take my own advice sometimes because I'm struggling with it right now, as a matter of fact. And the simple thing to do, and this is the simple thing I say to guys who are struggling to produce, is just go into your workshop and sit in your workshop. That's all you have to do. So instead of sitting in in the house and watching YouTube videos on your phone, go sit in your workshop and watch your YouTube videos. Because <laughs> tell you something, while you're sitting there, you're going to look at your workshop and you're going to see a small thing, maybe a couple of files lying around. And you stop what you're doing and you're going to go pack those files away. And then you're going to sit down again. And while you're sitting there, you're going to see something else. And you're going to get up and you see, oh, there's a knife that I was working on. You know, it's like it doesn't take 10 minutes just to you know, straighten the guard that I was working on. And these small things creep into your subconscious. And it's not something you choose to do. It's just something that happens naturally. And that's how I found it. And you just sit there and slowly the the workshop eats away at you and says, hey man, we need work done. Things need to happen. And you slowly feel it. And the key to that is just getting into the workshop. And a lot of guys Mm. are trying to avoid it. They stay inside, they look at the computer, they stay in front of the TV or they, they read books or whatever distracts you from what you have to do. The simple thing that you have to do is to get the work done. So if you're gonna be unproductive, go into the workshop and be unproductive because yeah. you can accidentally do some work while you're there. You know, yeah. if you're stuck, in the house, if you're stuck in the house, you can't accidentally do any work while you're in the house. So that's mm. the biggest advice I would give to guys who are trying to be productive, who, who are struggling with productivity. And then of course, Once you are productive and it all seems overwhelming, you know, I've got so many knives to make and I've got all these orders to get out and I've got to earn all the money and suddenly it becomes, you can't see the problem as a solution. You can only see it as this huge, you know, octopus smothering you and just grabbing you from every direction and you don't know what the hell to do and you don't know where to start. All you need to do is you need to pick one knife. Once you select that knife, you need to pick one thing you have to do on that knife. The first thing you have to do on that knife, does it need to be ground? Yes. Grind that knife. That's all you have to do. And focus on that grind. Listen to, music, to some music. In my case, I listen to audiobooks. I've been through the entire Terry Pratchett Discworld collection in the last couple of months. And I've become I've become a Terry Pratchett super fan now. I always was, but now I'm even more so. And uh, <laughs> anything that you want to listen to, because I've caught up on so much reading, not just the Discworld stuff, but any reading. I'm now listening to um, lectures on... Uh, writing books because I'm an author. I'm not a published author, but I've written a book that I want to get out at some point and I need to know if my story is any good. So I'm listening to a writer giving lectures. So this is how I occupy my mind while I'm doing the mundane task of grinding a knife because grinding a knife requires yeah. hand-eye coordination. It doesn't grind, require hand-brain coordination. you know. So yeah. your brain can listen to something else while you're doing the work at hand. And that's what I do. So I listen to books and I do the one task that I need to do, which is grind the knife. Not even just grind the knife. Grind the knife at 60 grit. That's it. Really break down your task into the smallest possible component. And once you've got that knife at 60 grit, instinctively you move up to the next one, 120 grit, whatever. And, and by the time you're done, you realize, hey, the knife's finished to an 830. It's only been half an hour or whatever it is. That's however long it takes you to grind your knife. And a Bowie knife takes about two hours anyway. But whatever it is, not only have you now ground the knife, ready to be hand polished or heat treated, you've also knocked off two hours out of an audio book and learned something, you know, or a lecture or whatever. So you've now suddenly taken Mm. those two hours that was started off as a tiny little task and you've turned it into something productive.
0: A lot of people get so fixated on trying to see the end of the path that they're on that they forget how to just take a step. Exactly. All you got to do is just keep taking one more step you only know, need to see that step, and you'll get there.
1: Uh, it's a big problem because you get overwhelmed by the problem, and you, instead of being able to focus on the solution. And the solution yeah. is, to, like I said, just to break it down into small, chewable pieces, and
0: you can get through it. We did a uh, an episode uh, on what Sam and I refer to as the thirty seventy rule: that knife making is thirty percent making knives, and seventy percent trying to solve problems and fuck ups. And you end up big, as a kn- trying to find the tools that you just put down. <laughs> yeah, that's part of it. But it's it's just uh, 70, 70% of the process will be things you trying to overcome things. When you start to make, especially on a complex knife build, and an advanced knife build, things are going to go wrong. You're not going to just like a robot do everything absolutely perfectly. And being a knife maker is largely being able to overcome problems and, and come up with solutions. Um, and the better you are at that, the better a knife maker you will become overall because only 30% of knife making is actually doing those steps.
1: Also, the other thing about knife making that, that everybody can know is if you want to get better, just make more knives. Nobody yeah. gets better overnight. You only get better by practice. So the, the th- I always mm. said the three rules of knife making are practice, practice, and practice. Mm. And what was the second I- one again? When I look at a knife maker who just presents to me a knife that he's worked on, you know, it's the best that he can do at that at the point in his uh, knife making career. And I can see his plunge lines aren't even or there's like grind lines there that he hasn't hand polished out. You know, I don't even worry about that stuff because that kind of thing comes with time and practice. It's not something that you can magically fix overnight. It's something you have to work on. So I never judge a knife or a knife maker by those aspects. If I do judge them, it's by certain aesthetic things, it's by other are are the handles ergonomically comfortable. There's the proportions, right? Those are simple things that then you can impart upon another knife maker in order to help them improve. I can't tell them how to grind better. I can't tell them how to make things symmetrical. That's something that you have to figure out on your own because I'm not you. I can't figure out why you can't do it
0: properly yet. You need to sit there and put in the work and the practice to figure, how, figure out how to get it done properly goes back to that first rule that you said of just make knives yeah just
1: make knives i'm telling you now the more knives you make it's like gary player said the more he plays golf
0: the luckier he gets you know yeah <laughs> i mean clearly from the way you're talking now and anybody that's ever sat in on any of your live streams that you do um you're a, you're clearly a deep thinker uh and i, I kind of get the vibe that you're 50 percent bladesmith and 50 percent philosopher do you, do you find that one has an effect on the other
1: no no the philosophy helps me deal with being a bladesmith i tell you that much because being it's a very niche market knife making yes not necessarily i'm not i'm not just talking about bladesmithing i'm talking about knife making in general because how many people want a custom knife of the world's population okay a tiny tiny fraction of the first people want to buy a knife you know And it's not like food. You don't go to shops every day and you buy it. It's not like consumables, like your car tires that you have to replace every so many hundred thousand kilometers or whatever. This is something that somebody buys because they want it, not because they need it. It's not a kitchen knife that you buy from the the local cutlery place or the local Supermarket or hyper store or whatever, where you can go to their little cutlery section and buy yourself a little kitchen knife. The knives I use in my kitchen, those aren't custom knives; those are cheap specials that, when they get crappy, I throw them away and I buy new ones. <laughs> you know, the, shoemaker, the shoemaker's children doesn't have new shoes. It's the same thing with a knife maker's house. I don't have any custom knives in my my kitchen. I've got one yeah, knife. They can't I drive use. the worst cars. Yeah, I've got one knife that I use, which is a high higher end Japanese style Yanagiba that. um that I was given as a birthday present, and that thing I maintain and I keep like a razor blade, and only I'm allowed to use it. But then again, I forget and I use it to to, to cut uh, hard crust bread, and it and stuffs up the edge, which means I have to go sharpen it all over again. But that's my personal favorite knife. But the rest of the knives, they're all stainless steel, you know, your regular run of the mill Victor Victorinox, um, mm-hmm. and not oh, so. Uh, uh, yeah, but the, sorry, I got sidetracked. We're talking about philosophy and knife making. <laughs>
0: Anyways, what I'm saying. True philosopher, you're just you're just backing up my assertion about, I'm, I'm waxing, about all sorts of strange things. No, the um, uh,
1: the, trying to reconcile the two together, because knife making is a creative thing. You know, we're craftsmen. We create something out of nothing. Nobody else mm. does that, other than other craftsmen. You know, so the average person who sits behind a desk and stares at a computer all day or works at a store or packs shelves in a warehouse, they don't understand the life that we live. They don't understand the pressure of trying to create things and trying to make our own money. You know, Nobody pays us to do what we do. We have to earn the money and pay ourselves. So our reward is not always necessarily monetary, which is the primary goal, naturally, but it is more of a fulfillment. That we can provide for our families and that we can put food on a table and a roof over our head and we're doing that from the sweat of our brow and the and you yeah. know the the, the 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 ache in our back and the, and the sore muscles and the creaking bones and as i get older now i'm starting to feel these things more and more and um definitely you become more and more aware of your mortality because you're sacrificing your body to do all these things my hands when I move my hands, like, okay, you can't see the video, but I'm flexing my fingers. I can feel my joints. They're not as limber as they once were. And um, I'm now 47 years old. I'm approaching the big 5-0. And thinking about that is like, how long can I keep forging? And that's why I take great heart in guys like Lin Ray. I mean, he's late 70s, I think now. He's coming along. And that guy forges like a demon, man. He, you, I'm, I get tired and that guy can keep forging. So I take a yeah. great amount of comfort in the fact that I can do this until the day I drop dead. I mean, I hope the yeah. I hope the day I die, somebody's going to say, "Did he finish that knife yet?" You know, yeah. uh, is it sitting there? <laughs> is it sitting there? And so, so when I drop dead, there should be a knife still on my on my workbench. And I I I don't intend on retiring anytime soon. I will keep making knives until the day I die.
0: Uh, there's um Cy Swan the the blacksmith in America who's i think in his uh, mid 90s now 95 96 oh. uh, and he's still going he's still forging a knife it's it's a, it's an incredible seeing it that uh, guy things just, just your body gets so attuned to doing it that you feel more comfortable while you're doing it than when you're not doing it uh, absolutely so, uh, it's but, uh, certain,
1: yeah it's a certain uh, muscle memory that you feel when you fire up the yeah. forge and swinging
0: the hammer it's um It's very true what you were saying about um, the the struggles that somebody that does this full-time has to go through and I know that time is probably the most valuable currency that any uh, self-employed person can have is is time you you start caring about it after a while you start caring about it more than money when things are going well you tend to start thinking in terms of I just need more time or spare time time to myself Um, and I know that's going to be uh, probably the main main concern for you in this regard but are we likely to see an ms after your name in any time in the near future
1: well for me it took me a long time to build the confidence to even submit knives to the south african knife makers guild and um even though people were telling me i was ready only person that can convince me that i was ready was me and it's the same with my journeyman smith took me long enough. And even after conversing with the guys at the evaluation table, and uh, I got some simple advice and they were mostly supportive and saying, yes, well done. Because the way they the way they uh, they do the journeyman smith evaluation is very strange. You get votes. They don't have a table of a checklist of the quality of fit and finish. Basically, there's seven guys that go in there and you need a majority vote to pass. Okay. So, I got a six, I got a six out of seven, which wasn't bad. So that's not bad. But apparently there's the one guy that never votes for anybody. So Yeah. It, fair enough. It's the guy that keeps the tables balanced. The only reason he'll change a vote is if it's a deciding vote, whether it's worth it or not, you know. Yeah. But um, Master Smith is pass There There is yeah. no Oh, you need a seventy-five percent to pass, or a ninety percent to pass. It's a hundred percent, or or nothing. Mm. And that kind of pressure is—I mean, I was under enough pressure just submitting my knives from my Jenny Smith. I was a nervous wreck. I couldn't talk to anybody. Um, it was—it was quite discomforting, and I didn't enjoy it. I mean, I was very happy, obviously, at the end. Yeah. Um, sorry, my, <laughs> my dog is next to me rolling around on the couch like an idiot. He's distracting me. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so uh, Master Smith, I'm definitely, I don't feel like I'm ready for that yet. I mean, I see the knives that Niels produces. The guy is the master of the dagger. And mm-hmm. I think he's a Master Smith knife in his sleep. But again, if you look at Niels' work, he needs to be ready. We can't tell him he's ready. He needs to feel like that ready. Because right. Niels became a journeyman Smith before I did and he's gonna become a mastersmith before I do. I would like a mastersmith, but I don't foresee it in any, any uh, near future uh, at this particular moment.
0: Yeah, it, it's, that's that's you, you sort of hit the nail on the head there because I mean, whether your knives are ready or not, it's just as much you as a maker being ready for that sort of evaluation, I mean. You lay everything bare. I mean, you, you as a we call ourselves craftsmen, but we are artists as well. And you are laying yourself bare in the the highest rank that there is. It's it's a you have to be ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> You're being uh, the listeners can't see this, but Stuart is being um, just absolutely assaulted with love by his dog. <laughs> Oh, what a beautiful face! Look at that. Yeah, he's a good boy.
1: Yes. <laughs> he wants attention. That's why he's uh, he's jumping all over me. He's got a well. Sprained, he will. He's got a sprained paw, so he can't. We can't throw the ball for him. We can't play tug of war with him. And he's a half Bull Terrier, half Staffordshire Terrier cross, and he's got boundless energy, and he loves mm-hmm. running garden chasing and playing and it's been three days since he's done anything like that so he's kind of desperate for some affection and some attention so he's (laughs) kind of
0: pushing himself all over me well we'll 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 have to have to wrap up so that you can give him some proper cuddles um we would normally go through some listener emails but um the the show is already gone for close to an hour and a half so we'll save him for another episode i think that's fine Um,
1: i'm i'm sorry
0: no, no, it's good. It's, it, was, it was a good episode. Lots of, uh, lots of juicy uh, information in there and uh, advice that people can can take home, I'm sure. Um, we've got, uh, we wrapped up our Forgecast competition in the last episode. So I'm just going to say we, we give out um, challenges for beginner blacksmiths to try um, just to push themselves. And uh, this month's challenge is to make a functional yet beautiful slitting chisel. To add to your collection properly heat treated uh and able to be used in your forging work so if you're going to have a go at that challenge guys uh use the hashtag forgecast challenge on instagram because we would love to see what you do it's a very valuable tool to have in your kit and they're very easy to make quite br- uh, pretty because basically just a shaft and a, a shaft can have all sorts of things like rubik's twists and rope twists and things like that put in there you might even um do like a a basket weave or something like that for the handle if you wanted to get really fancy. Um, But only the business end needs to actually work. The rest of it's just something to hang on to. So uh, go nuts with it, make something pretty. Because you can always have prettier tools. It's a little bit of whimsy and we like it. (laughs) But um, if anybody wants to have an email sent into the show, they just need to send it to ask.forgecast at gmail.com. Uh, anything blacksmithing or bladesmithing related, we'd love to answer it on the show or sometimes we'll just email you back. But thanks very much, Stuart, for coming onto the show. It's been an absolute treat to talk to you.
1: Oh, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Sorry, I'm monopolised all the time.
0: No, not at all. This is what we like to have. With um, people, are for some reason, not yet following you in your work, where um, where would you recommend that they follow you? Follow you? Um, I'm predominantly
1: active on Instagram, at Knives. one word. But that's also linked mm-hmm. to my Facebook fan page, also Smith Hand Forged Knives. Um, I'm not accepting any personal friend requests on my Facebook, which is Stuart Anthony Smith. But you can still follow me. I uh, don't have to be my friend to follow me. That's when I do my um, daily grind talks, where I uh, ramble on, uh, not every day, but uh, whenever I'm doing a car journey to out to a supplier or a fellow maker or a... Or somewhere I'm collecting something i generally put on a, a, a about a 40 minute talk on anything that's on my mind at the time and usually it ends up like uh, like today becoming a bit philosophical
0: and
1: <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a good time i don't get a lot of listeners in it's like i mean we get the high double digits you know like 20 at the most if i'm lucky but i do it for me and i do it for those who do listen so you're welcome to join me and just like i said start following me and you can Catch me every now and again when I do one of those. And on very rare occasions when I do a YouTube video, I do have a YouTube channel. And uh, I do uh, some videos there of knife builds or tips and techniques for my fellow knife makers. Not monetized. So if you see any adverts on my videos, just let me know and I will demonetize it because uh, I decided one day that I will not be doing it for the contribution to the corporate machine that is
0: YouTube. I will make yep. it just and just for knife makers. And uh, Stuart's um, YouTube channel is Smith Hand Forged Knives. Uh, you can look that up. Um, I quite like your videos. I, I'm uh, sad you don't do them more often, but as a YouTuber myself, I know just how much work is involved in in making yeah. YouTube videos.
1: Yeah, it's, even it's is horrendous. It's, it's hours of editing for like a 15
0: minute video. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, but. Um, no it's it's uh it's been a hoot to have you on the show Uh, uh, um sorry you missed sam we'll have to get you back another time in the future so Um, sam can
1: very happy to come and talk to you again
0: so have me whenever you want take jam out about Sabaton. (laughs) (laughs) yeah no worries guys well uh, if you're looking for me i go by valhalla ironworks and you can find me on facebook and instagram and youtube and patreon and various other places just google me and will find me I'm like a bad smell you can't get rid of me uh, and we will see everybody next week for yet another episode of Forgecast keep those fires lit we'll see you all next week